Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. given to the Lord. Hallelujah. We appreciate that. We appreciate everyone's faithful giving. Amen. Throughout the past several weeks, I was listening to a general ministry conference online last night, and uh, that is available this week. It's happening even now as we're here at church, but uh, I was listening to online last night, and uh, there were different ones that had made mention and spoken of. And it wasn't my testimony for our church in particular. But they were taking, they were saying how during COVID that giving was even, they were taking greater deposits to the bank than what it was whenever they were in church. That was not our experience. All right. Uh, there's probably thousands of dollars that was lost through COVID, uh, as a matter of fact. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we're thankful because the Lord did keep us on top of the water rather than below the water. Amen. And so we appreciate him. Amen. For that. This coming uh, Sunday is Father's Day. There will be one service in the a.m. One service in the a.m. We'll have an in-person service uh, for Father's Day. And just as a uh, just kind of a heads up, I don't think any gentleman, anybody will be disappointed concerning this, but we will not be distributing any gifts. We didn't for Mother's Day. We did, won't for Father's Day. Folks, we did everything we could to tighten down. Whenever we were still in the winter month of uh, March, uh, the degrees back there was set on 60. And we had church in here, those that came at 60 degrees. Sister Mason had blankets sitting in the audience whenever she sat out there uh, because we were trying to the best of our ability just be mindful of whatever may happen, however long it could go on. And so even when we first started back here and it started getting summertime, I kept it at 75. And uh, after a few services of that, and they started telling me that they didn't know if they were going to be able to keep their voice uh, doing that, uh, we did kick it down a little bit uh, in order to help with that aspect. So we've tried to be a good steward of God's money uh, in the process of doing all of this. We're going to be turning to John chapter number 3. This coming Sunday, we also have a baby dedication. Aria McBroom is going to be dedicated uh, unto the Lord. And so that's happening this coming Sunday as well. So several things going on on Sunday. Amen. And we can be here if you decide to be uh, do so in the house of the Lord. John chapter number uh, four, rather, not three. Also, the marshals left some bookmarks out there for anybody that wished to take them uh, on those uh, has all of their social media outlets where you can connect with them or keep track of them. And so that's out there for the taking. If you do go out there, please take it. Don't touch it. Just if you want it, take it. All right. I'm not trying to be just over the top, but I'm just saying if you want one, take one. Don't finger them all and say, well, this one looks a little better than that one. And, you know, just take one. Hallelujah. God bless your heart. Amen. John chapter number four. And we are going to begin with verse number one, uh, the last few verses of John chapter number three. I'm just kind of hit the top of here in the beginning of our lesson to incorporate John four verses one through nine. Uh, this uh, starts the story of the woman at the well. How many is familiar with the Samaritan woman at the well story? 
There's a few hands that are familiar with that. All right. The Bible says in verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Amen. For a little while tonight, I'd like to entitle part number 11 of our John series this, A Choice at the Fork in the Road. A choice at the fork in the road. Amen. Let's pray here tonight that God would touch our hearts and minds afresh and anew. Father, I love you here this evening and I'm thankful, Lord, God, for one more time. God, to be here in this place and the opportunity, Lord, to share the word of the Lord. I pray, oh God, this evening you're able to touch, Lord, every individual in this place and those, Lord, that have joined us, God, by, Lord, Facebook and the World Wide Web. I pray, oh Lord, tonight, God, give us understanding. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, as we, Lord, at different times and even perhaps now, find ourselves, Lord, at the fork in the road with a decision to be made in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated tonight. In Jesus' name, a choice at the fork in the road. We left off last Wednesday, and I'm back down here on this level with people. I have been up here for several weeks on Wednesday, and I asked Brother Alex Mason if I could actually get down here. He said, yeah, we can adjust for that, so here we are. So we left off last week talking how there was no competition between John the Baptist and Jesus whenever it came to uh, baptizing. Although there were some of the Jews and some of the uh, disciples of John the Baptist that tried to make uh, out as though there was some type of competition there or controversy, uh, there was none particularly between Jesus and John the Baptist. Because, as we spoke last week, each of these men knew their respective place in the kingdom of God. They knew their respective call that God had upon their life. For that matter, John knew, perhaps better than any, that Jesus was to have center stage of this, this kingdom ministry. And so the Bible even continues to tell us in those last few verses that we're going to capture here of chapter 3, the Bible continues to tell us this fact that, that Christ was from heaven. Uh, the scripture relays that he that is from earth is earthly, but Jesus, of course, who was from above was therefore above all. And so since Jesus was the word made flesh or God manifested in the flesh, whenever he spoke of things and whenever of things that he said and of things that he heard, whenever he spoke of these type of things, 
Jesus, being God manifested in the flesh, spoke of things that he was actually at. What I mean by that, whenever Jesus spoke of uh, creation and Adam and Eve in the beginning, and whenever he spoke of in his ministry concerning the flood of Noah, and when he talked about Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, the wickedness and the destruction of those cities, and when he even talked about in my father's house or many men, when he talked about any and all these things, he could talk about them better than any other individual could talk about them because he was there. He was God. That was manifested in the flesh. And so he's not like just another prophet that's talking about some of those things of the Old Testament by virtue of revelation or a rabbi that's talking about it by virtue of, you know, having read uh, the first five books of the Old Testament or by oral tradition. He spoke about it because he was there. And so you could have no better testimony, right, than an eyewitness have no better testimony than someone that was actually there. And yet the Bible relays to us that there were still people, in spite of him having been there, there were still people that were doubtful about his testimony and did not receive his witness. The scripture tells us in the closing of, of John 3 that Jesus was sent or he was commissioned with the words of God. All things had been given unto Jesus. Insomuch that the Bible even tells us that the Spirit was not given to him by measure. It was freely given unto him. And yet still, people did not receive his testimony. That brings me great comfort. Amen. They couldn't receive someone who was there. And I'm trying to preach the message from what I've read. Right? And there's still people that don't receive my testimony either or my witness. But they did not receive his testimony. But the scripture says there were other individuals that did receive his testimony. And it says those that did receive the testimony of the Lord and, and the witness of the Lord. The Bible said that they set his or her seal that God was true. In the olden days, they had their seal or signet rings in which they could seal documents with that would give their endorsement of a document. And so whenever this, the writer of John said that they set their seal that God was true in believing in Jesus Christ, it simply meant this, that they received what Jesus was saying. It meant that they both adopted and chose the testimony of Jesus Christ to the degree that they accepted it even as their own testimony. Amen. They accepted it as their own testimony. They accepted what he had to say as though it belonged to them. As though his message was their message. Amen. They set their seal to it. They adopted what he was saying and the life that he lived as their own. And so with that, the scripture relates to us that there are really two different responses, amen, that come with two different result, results in the scripture. And might I say the two different responses and the two different results are things that we find from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And that is this. The Bible makes it very plain to us that if we both adopt and we both choose the testimony of Jesus Christ as our own, we can do that or we can do as many had done, even in Jesus' day, not receive his testimony. So there's only two choices. Receive his testimony, don't receive his testimony. In these words, accept the Lord or reject the Lord. 
There's only two choices. There are no partial loyalties in this thing. There's no partial loyalties in the kingdom of God. It's not part obedience. No, no, there's no such thing as partial obedience. And so the results from our choice, accepting him or rejecting him, then there are a twofold results of the choices then, the choice that we make. And that's, that's highlighted in John 3 and verse 36. John's very plain here. The writer is very plain. But we need sometimes plainness. Amen. He says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Right? So he that believes, he that believes even the testimony of him hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. John makes it very plain. I mean, he, he doesn't trim the hedge. He cuts it down. He says, you either accept the testimony of the Lord and have everlasting life, or you deny it, you disobey it, you reject it. And he says, the wrath of God abideth on him. And we have this one singular verse that is couched between two stories, one of John 3 and one of John 4. Two stories. It almost serves as a pivotal point for the story of Nicodemus and Jesus and the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because between the two, there are some comparisons and there are some contrasts that I wish to share with you here this evening. Because in both of these occasions of these two people that had a choice to make they were both presented with some information from Jesus Christ that they did not fully understand at first remember Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again he's not quite grasping the concept of what's being conveyed and he's talking to the Samaritan woman about living water and she's not quite understanding at first what is being conveyed or the idea that he is conveying. In both instances, with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, Jesus uses natural items to try to relay understanding to them. He talks to Nicodemus about the wind, and so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He talks to the Samaritan woman about water. Amen. Just natural water trying to convey a spiritual truth unto her. And so when we look at these two individuals, again, they have a choice. That every man or woman, boy or girl upon the earth has a choice. They had a choice. Nicodemus, look at the contrast. Nicodemus is a moral Jewish man that's a rabbi, a teacher of God's people. He came to Jesus by night. And we have then a Samaritan woman who, from the way that we can understand Scripture, is an immoral Samaritan that, no doubt, Jesus came to, in essence, came to where she was going to be at, came to by day. Jesus, or Nicodemus rather, came to Jesus but the scripture declares that Jesus seeing that he must, and the scripture says he must needs go through Samaria. Later, even in his discourse with the Samaritan woman in discussion, he tells her that the father seeks true worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what we have is a moral rabbi, Nicodemus, Jewish man that sought out Jesus. But in many respects, Jesus had sought for the true worshiper that was in an immoral woman. So we got these contrasting things going on. And so at the day's end, 
when we read the scripture here in John, at the day's end, we never have record that Nicodemus received the Lord in his truth. Not necessarily at this time written in the gospel, but the Samaritan woman's belief after her conversation with Jesus seems to just soar in so much as she's willing to tell other people about him. Two choices both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman has, all right? Two choices with two results in the moment that have vast different, amen, uh, aspects, vast different results. And so what I'm saying tonight is this, how we respond to the testimony of Jesus Christ is vitally important to our life. How we respond to the testimony of Jesus Christ is vitally important to our life. And so the scripture starts out in John 4, talking to us again about Jesus, how that the Lord knew that uh, there were more, uh, the Pharisees had known rather that there was more that had been baptized uh, under the auspices of Jesus' ministry than there was John's. And so whenever we hear this, we understand that Jesus now is going to leave Judea and he's going to go through go to Galilee. In other words, Jesus didn't want to be involved in any type of controversy or competition, even if it was being created by a third party. He said, if y'all going to start all this junk and start, just forget that. I, I would rather leave, all right, and just let John go on baptizing and let all the murmuring subside. Then stay and have this upheaval and people start getting all these notions. And so he, he's going to lead Judea for Galilee. Now, uh, the land of Israel, what was also called Palestine, from north point to south point was about 120 miles long, I guess if you want to call it that, north to south, 120 miles long. And it had in that day primarily three divisions. In the north, you had Galilee, the Galilee area. In the south, you had the area of Judea, smack dab in the middle. In between, you had Samaria. And so the straightest route, of course, then, from Judea to Galilee was absolutely through Samaria. Historians say it was about a three days journey. There were alternate routes. Uh, a person, because you, you have the Sea of Galilee up here, and then you have the little Jordan River that trinkles down here, and it goes into the Dead Sea. And, then, and so you could cross over the Jordan, go up over there on the east, and then cross back over into Galilee. But that was a longer trip. It was twice as long. So the shortest trip was going straight through Samaria. And so whenever the Scripture says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria, I convey to you, according to the God's word, it isn't just simply talking about a geographical statement. He's got to go through there because that's the shortest route. It's also a phrase that's signifying that Jesus Christ was being compelled in a particular direction through Samaria for a particular purpose, namely his meeting with the Samaritan woman. Everybody doing all right? Listen. The word of God, I, I have marveled at it this week. Okay, so it's going to take me a little while to put some puzzle pieces together for us here tonight. The history of Israel. Whenever we consider the history of Israel, there was a time, many of you know this, that there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom in Israel. The northern kingdom was made up of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom was made up of two of the tribes 
of Israel. That lasted for about 200 years of the separation. We are probably more familiar with in the Bible concerning Babylonian captivity, that 70-year period of time, which affected predominantly the southern part, the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah and Benjamin. We are probably less familiar, people don't talk about it maybe as much, about the captivity or the taking away that happened to the ten tribes in the northern part by the Assyrians. The Assyrians came into the northern part of Israel and they took away the ten tribes of Israel in the north to various cities of the Medes and such. Here's scripture reference for you and will be on the screen as well. Second Kings 17 and verse number 6. The Bible says in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Halah and harbor of the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. So in other words, Assyria came in just as Babylon did in the south. Assyria came in in the north uh, prior to the Babylonian captivity, and they took away what was known as the northern kingdom, which was also labeled sometimes just Israel, which was also labeled sometimes just Samaria. They all went by that name. And so they came in and carried them away. They came into their capital city, which was Samaria, carried them away, all right, over into all these different Assyrian cities and throughout their empire. They were scattered helter skelter all throughout their empire. Now, whenever these things happen, anytime, even in the south, whenever captivity took place and people are taken away, they normally take away the rulers. They take away the rich. They take away the people that have clout, have status and they oftentimes leave the lower classes and they leave the poor and so that is the case with the northern kingdom known as Samaria or Israel when Assyria came in they took everybody away but many times leaving the poor and the lower class in that particular area and so though the Assyrians took all these people away and left just the poor and and, and those of the lower class Another aspect of them conquering this territory is now to take some of their Assyrian people and put in the land of Israel in the northern kingdom. All right? So now what you have in the northern kingdom in the Samaria area are a few poor, low-class Jewish-Israelite people mixed with a lot of an Assyrian people because Assyria has conquered her. Look what the Bible says concerning the different ones that they had come in and settled in the area. 2 Kings 17 and verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and Kuath, or Kuthah, and from Ava, and from Hamath, and from Shephravarim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities there. Of. And so as these people from the Assyrian places came into Israel, they also came and brought their gods as well. And so here is Israel. They have a lot of Assyrians. They have few Jews up in the north. And so what begins to happen up there is some of the things that God all the way back at Deuteronomy and before never wanted to happen. And that was for the Jews or the Israelites to intermarry with any other nation, not because of their race or tongue or skin color, but because of their religious, their religious uh, preferences. 
because now we have all these Assyrians in and they are starting to intermarry with these people. And thus we get Jews, a product now we're having a part Jew and a part Gentile, which is what came to be known as the Samaritan people. Not only that, and we'll look at this perhaps in later weeks, it was more than just the Samaritans being part Jew and part Gentile, but now from the Jewish side, the beliefs that was purely Jew were now somewhat skewed, all right? And so that starts the unsettled relationship then between the Jews and the Samaritans all the way back in the book of Kings. As a matter of fact, speaking of this intermarrying, even today in very strict Jewish households, if a Jew marries a Gentile, their family will have that individual's funeral. Meaning basically this, they are dead to them. That's how adamant, even of the strictest sense that they are. So no wonder... The Samaritan woman questions Jesus at the well and says, you're a Jew and you're asking of me a drink? Because if history is what I remember our histories to be, the Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. In other words, we we don't. Share the use of things. We like have our circle, you have your circle, and they don't overlap. They don't have no dealings with one another. And so when we consider the Samaritan woman, there are primarily three strikes against her. Number one, she's a Samaritan, right? Number two, we'll look at this in other weeks, she was a woman. And that's not just biblical culture, all right? She was a woman. Number three, she was being immoral. So she has, she's being a Samaritan against her, being a woman was against her, being that she was immoral was against her. Amen. And so the overall idea, we got to understand this, all these strikes, you know, usually three strikes are out. All these strikes against her, and yet Jesus must needs go through Samaria in order to meet her at a particular hour. He sought her out in spite of being a, a Samaritan. In spite of culturally in that day being a woman. In spite of her immorality. (laughs) Amen. He sought her out. And as the story goes, we won't get to it all tonight. She responds positively to him. This whole story in and of itself is quite incredible then. Amen. Because just like Nicodemus, she was provided a choice. But she made good in her belief. Though she may have been further from the Lord than what Nicodemus was. Hallelujah. And so where Jesus sat on the well, the Bible tells us that this woman would soon come to to draw water. It's described as Jacob's well, which as you approach, you notice the scripture there. That verse number five, then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And so as she's approaching this well, this well is near to the city of Sychar. So as you approach it, you would come to Jacob's well. Now here's the interesting thing. At Jacob's well... Amen. Uh, Geography. Amen. Historians of geography tell us this. At Jacob's well, there was a fork in the road. That one led this direction and one led that direction. And just, I marvel at God's word that at Jacob's well, 
Jesus would be meeting with a Samaritan woman at the fork in the road because it was decision time for the Samaritan woman. Someone say amen. Now, why, Jesus, are you doing this? Folks, historical biblical record reports to us some interesting things that happened between men and women at Wales throughout the scriptures. Amen. That I believe are for our comparison here in John chapter number four. Let me walk through a few, not all, just a few of them tonight, starting back in Genesis chapter 24. I'm not going through verse by verse. But in Genesis 24, we read that Abraham has commissioned his eldest servant to go back to his homeland and find a bride for his son Isaac. Now, I want to just kind of compile some things for you. So the eldest servant of Abraham found the bride of Isaac at a well in her own homeland. Jesus is commissioned for a purpose and he finds the Samaritan woman at a well in her own homeland. This elder servant asked of Rebecca, give me to drink. Jesus asked of the Samaritan, give me to drink. Rebecca goes home to her household and tells her household of the servant at the well. The Samaritan goes back to Samaria and tells those of the city about Jesus Christ that was at the well. Hallelujah. Amen. Rebecca's household, the scripture says in Genesis 24, came out of their household to meet this servant. Hallelujah. That was looking for this bride. The Samaritans, amen, in Samaria in John 4, came out of their city also to meet Jesus Christ who was at the well. The Bible says that the servant, the eldest servant that was looking for a bride for Isaac, whenever he came to their household, they want to offer him food. He says, no, I don't want to eat until I tell you my errand. And until I tell you and make this known unto you. Jesus, when the disciples came back from town with food, and said, Master, here's food. He says, no. He says, I have meat that you know not of. He wasn't done with his errand yet. At Samaria. Amen. The Bible says that the eldest servant stayed there at the household of Rebekah's house for a day, more than a day. Jesus abode at Samaria for two days. Now, folks. That is just not coincidence, okay? God is purposeful in his word. Now, that's, that, that's a man and a woman at a well, a man looking for a bride. If you go to Genesis 29, guess what we have there? Quite very similar, the same, but Jacob is looking for a bride, and he finds her at a well in her homeland. Yet in this scenario, and this is interesting because it kind of plays both sides of Jesus Christ. In one episode in John, he's asking of her to drink. But in the next episode, he's telling her, I can give you something to drink. And so in this scenario, amen, Jacob finds his bride at the well in her homeland. But instead of asking for something to drink, the Bible says that he rode the stone from the well so that they might drink. And he watered the flocks. Someone say Amen. Hallelujah. And so whenever he does this, the Bible says that Rachel tells her household about Jacob. 
And then the household comes out to meet Jacob, and Jacob stays there. It's repeated again. If you look in Exodus chapter number 2, we read again of a man by the name of Moses. Guess what? He met his bride at a well (laughs) in her homeland. He was looking for a bride. Amen. And he found her at a well. And again, instead of asking drink of her, the Bible says that he watered their flocks. And Zipporah, who would become Moses' bride, went home and told her daddy, her household, about Moses. And, and, And her daddy was like, well, where is he? Don't let him stay out there. And he told her to call for Moses that he might eat bread. And Moses stays there. So in each of these Old Testament scenarios, and there are others, a man found a bride at a well in her own homeland. He's either offering something to drink or he is giving, he's offered something to drink or giving something to drink. She always goes back and talks to her household about it. They come out and see the man and he usually stays for a few days. Folks, what I believe is happening in John chapter number four is Jesus was seeking out something. He must have been seeking out the true worshipers that he later speaks of. Perhaps he was looking for a bride, perhaps not in the literal sense, but in the spiritual sense in the Samaritan woman, amen, of John chapter number four. Because in reality someday when heaven amen becomes our home the bride of Christ is going to be made up of every kindred and tongue and people and nation hallelujah Samaritans are going to be a part of his kingdom oh yes and perhaps he wanted to present himself since you're going to be a part of my kingdom my bride is going to be multicultural Hallelujah. I want to present myself to you as your king. Follow me here because the Bible says as he approached the well, it was about the sixth hour of the day. It's about the sixth hour of the day. The sixth hour of a Jewish day is around 12 noon. Again, Brother Malone, here we go looking at other places in John where other things occur and then broadening our scope. The only other place that the sixth hour of the day is mentioned within the gospel of John is made whenever Pilate, during the week of his crucifix, right before he's taken to be crucified, mention is made that Pilate presents Jesus about the sixth hour with these words. Look at it now, John 19 and verse 14. And when it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour... He saith unto the Jews, this is Pilate speaking, he saith unto the Jews, behold your king. So about the sixth hour leading to Jesus' crucifix, he's presented to the Jews as their king. Can I convey tonight that about the sixth hour at a well, Jesus was presenting himself to a woman of Samaria as being her king. So much so, he said, I'll give you water to drink that you'll never thirst again. It will be everlasting life. Amen. Furthermore, if we want to start piling up this six-hour stuff just a little bit, we can fast forward then to the book of Acts in Acts chapter number 10 where the Bible says it was about the sixth hour when Peter went up on the housetop to pray. And as he prayed, he had a vision of a great sheet that was dropped down and there was all manner of unclean animals up on the sheet. 
And the Lord spoke to him and said, Arise and eat. And he says, No, Lord. He says, I've never ate anything unclean or uncommon. And God's response to him was this, That which I've cleansed, call thou not uncommon. And the Lord did that three times. And he was preparing the heart of Peter that whenever there was a knock that would come upon his door and he would go down there, there were three men from Cornelius' house which were Gentiles not Jews, considered common and unclean. And the Lord was staging that so Peter would feel okay to go with these three men. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. And so he's accepting a condition to Peter. He said, don't call that which I've, I've cleansed. Don't call that common and don't call that unclean. Notably, again then in John 4, at the sixth hour, Jesus is interacting with a Samaritan woman, which by all reality of that hour and day was likewise considered unclean. Now, again, all this is happening at Jacob's well, at the fork in the road. No knives, just forks. At the fork in the road. Now listen, folks, I want you to understand very clearly, the Bible does not waste words. All right? It don't just put in extra just because it feels like, no, no. The Bible does not waste words. And it says in verse number five that this, this Sakar, then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near to the parcel of ground. That Jacob gave to his son Joseph. The Bible doesn't waste words. Why is it important for us to know that this is near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph? You know, casual reading would be like, big deal. It would be like saying, First Apostolic Church is near to the elementary school. Which houses grades, da da da. If we were to include, I mean, it's not like we're going to send out a bulletin to our community and, and say that unless we want it to be meaningful for some reason or some purpose. And so the Lord is not wasting words. The ground that Jacob gave Joseph, we read in Genesis 33 and Genesis 48, the ground that Jacob gave Joseph was land that he both purchased and he fought for. He purchased it and he fought for it. It was known as Shechem, is the way we say it in our English Bibles. It was known as Shechem. And uh, geography tells us that Sakar was near to Shechem, about a mile from Sakar, from this well and from this place was Shechem. Now, something that's peculiar, I'm just putting all these things together in my head while I'm thinking about the Samaritan woman. In the Old Testament, Shechem, at one time in the book of Joshua, Chapter 20, Shechem had been one of the cities of refuge. Remember the cities of refuge? If a man had taken the life of another unintentionally, that he ran to for refuge because the avenger of blood was coming on his heels, and if he could get there, he found sanctuary there. There was grace there. Shechem had at one time been an old city of refuge. And yet, it's awesome to me that in this vicinity, where Jesus met with the Samaritan woman, people one time run to for refuge in the past. But here we have a modern-day Samaritan woman needing some refuge in the moment. Hallelujah. 
Therefore, furthermore, the Bible tells us that Joseph was buried in the land that Jacob had given to him. Look at it in Joshua 24 and verse 32. The Bible says, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem. So here we have it. And, and you, you, you can read the rest of the verse I'm, if you want. I'm, I'm just not continuing on uh, there. So the bones of Joseph was buried in Shechem. He was brought out of Egypt. So the, Mer- the Samaritan woman in John 4, she's being presented in reality with a choice. With a choice that can have generational implications for her. And that's understood no clearer than when we consider the parcel of ground that is mentioned near to where she and Jesus stands. Shechem, what Jacob gave to Joseph. Joseph is buried there. As a matter of fact, we understand in Scripture that Joseph died when he was in Egypt, but they didn't bury him in Egypt. He requested that they would take his bones hence, and it was about 400 plus years from the time that Joseph died to when he was buried in the land, Shechem, that his dad had given him. He's buried there because he requested before he died, he requested of his brethren, and you're going to have to follow me here, okay? He requested of his brethren. He requested of the 12 tribes of Israel. That I want you guys to bury me in Israel. I want you to bury me in Shechem. I want you to bury me over there. Because, listen to me guys, eventually God's going to deliver you out of Egyptian bondage. God's going to deliver you out of Egyptian bondage. You're not going to be in Egypt. You're going to be in Israel. God is surely going to visit you. And based upon that, guys, I don't want to be buried here. I want to be buried over there. Everybody doing okay? Now look at this. This is all possible in many ways because of Joseph. Follow me here. Because when we look at the life of Joseph and he went through his being sold into slavery, being as a, a man of well-standing in Potiphar's house, and he was tempted daily, as the Bible said, of Potiphar's wife. Remember that Joseph made a choice. Everybody say choice. Joseph made a choice to stand firm for righteousness. Whenever Potiphar's wife was wanting him to lay with her, You've heard me say this before. He made a choice to stand firm for righteousness even when there wasn't Ten Commandments yet. Huh? Right? When that wasn't there to help direct his decision, he made a choice for God. Potiphar's wife is seducing him daily. Lay with me, Joseph. Lay with me, Joseph. Joseph daily is refusing. No. Joseph even poses the question to Potiphar's wife. He says, listen. He says, I'm head of the household. Uh, your, your, your husband has given me everything except for you. 
He's given me everything except for you. How in the world can I do this wickedness that you're talking about in the sight of God and look, sin against God? Huh? But we know the story, many of us perhaps do, that Potiphar's wife, amen, caught Joseph on a particular day by his garment. And the Bible says that Joseph, rather than staying, he fled, amen, he left his garment, he fled, and he got out. And as the story goes, Joseph was wrongfully imprisoned. All right? I know it's like trying to get to the end of a sentence. It's a run-on, sorry. He was wrongfully imprisoned. But as you read your Bible, many believe that Potiphar's wife, or Potiphar rather, believed and wasn't totally duped by his wife's accusation of Joseph. Because in that day and culture, if a man had done what Joseph had supposedly done to his wife, he had been executed. He's a dead man. Yet we don't see Potiphar doing that, and he's a man of power that could have easily had done that. He does not do that. Not only that, we see later whenever he's in prison and the butler and the baker are down there, which is some of the king's cohorts. You know, they've done wrong, but still they need to have a certain level, you know, of of niceties, although they're in prison because they're a part of the court. The Bible says that the captain of the guard, who was Potiphar, set Joseph over those men. Why would he do that if he was someone that couldn't be trusted? So many believe that Potiphar wasn't totally duped by the accusations of his wife. And so we see Joseph just imprisoned rather than executed. I said all that to say this then. Had Joseph, and I'm, I'm driving home this point, had Joseph not made the right choice for righteousness, what would have happened to Israel? Think for a moment. In essence, Bishop, if Joseph hadn't made a choice for righteousness, there would have been no Israelites. There would have been no miraculous provision and insight and wisdom to keep during the years, seven years of plenty for the seven years of lean that was coming. For that matter, Joseph is the one that even interpreted the dream that Pharaoh had. Furthermore, the famine that was in Egypt, remember, those that were Canaan, the 70, the 70 souls of the Israelites that were in Canaan, they would send their, the boys over to Egypt to get provision. That would have not been there for them to get had it not been for a Joseph. If I could say it like this, if Joseph had not made the right choice concerning righteousness, Israel would have been no more. But see, hold on, there's a bigger circle here because the Samaritans, come from Jews that are intermarrying with Gentiles of the ten northern tribes. There would not have been any Samaritan people. There would not have been any Samaritan people had Joseph not made the right choice. But because Joseph did make the right choice, those 70 souls, the Bible tells us, survived their years of Egypt. They multiplied while they were in Egypt. They were delivered from Egypt. Amen. And because a man, here's what it comes down to, because a man decided to flee from sin, because a man made a choice to flee from sin, that decision empowered future generations of Israel because of a right choice concerning sin. got a point 
Genesis 50 verses 24 and 25 gives us the story, gives us the little verses there of Joseph speaking unto the tribes of Israel, his brethren, about what to do with his bones, right? And Joseph said unto his brethren, verse 24 of Genesis 50, I die, and God will surely, look at it now, and God, he's talking to all 12 tribes, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So again, he was put in a coffin in Egypt, but he traveled around from one generation to the next generation, from Moses to Joshua, and was finally buried in Shechem, near to where Jesus was meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. Just stay here for a moment. His words, Joseph's words back then, had to be reverberating in her ears right now. With great purpose, the scripture says, it was near to the land that Jacob gave unto Joseph. It had to be reverberating in her ears now. And here's one purpose why I say that. And we'll talk about this more. The Samaritans, part of the little skewed belief. I, I, how much time we got? I'm so sorry. Whenever they sent the Assyrians into the northern kingdom of, of Israel, it comes to find out they were serving other gods, but they also didn't want to miss out on serving the God. Because there were lions in the land and there was people that started to be devoured. They said, well, in order for that not to happen, you're going to have a priest of Israel come over and teach you all how to serve the Lord. So they didn't just serve the Lord alone. They served him along with a bunch of other gods. But when this happened, watch me, when this happened, there is only the first five books of the Old Testament that the Samaritans abided by and took and lived by. They did not take the prophets. They did not take the Psalms, only the first five books. So the Samaritans were well aware of the story of Joseph his slavery, his prison, his right choice. And so this must be reverberating within the ears of the Samaritan when she considers that we're near to where Joseph is buried right now. Joseph, the man that made the right choice, said, carry up my bones from hence. And the Bible tells us in Joshua, he was buried in Shechem. And the basis for Shechem, and the basis for this plea was this. This is why Joseph said that. Because 12 tribes, you're not always going to be in Egypt. 12 tribes, some of y'all may have been born here, but you don't always have to be here. Can you, can you think of this as, as a Samaritan woman is rethinking those scriptures she knew? You're born here, but you don't always have to be here. He says, God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land. And here at Jacob's well near to Joseph's bones is a Samaritan woman with a mixed heritage, part Jew, part Gentile. Hey Amen. A portion of her family tree, though, went all the way back to one of the tribes of Israel. Part of her, poor, uh, of her family tree went all the way back to one of the tribes of Israel. <laughs> and so as Joseph spoke that day to all 12 tribes, he's talking to them in his dying moments, God will bring you out of Egypt. God's going to bring you out of this land. Samaritan woman, where are your feet standing right now? This isn't, this isn't Egypt. Woo! You're standing in Israel.
And although God did visit the 12 tribes in bringing them out of Egyptian bondage through Moses back then in this present moment in a land that was not Egypt, God manifested in the man Jesus Christ was surely visiting a Samaritan woman. Can I tell you that when those words parted Joseph's mouth hundreds and hundreds of years before, it was even for the Samaritan woman of the well, a promise to her that God is going to visit you. And through the man Christ Jesus, God came down and visited a Samaritan woman, not in Egypt, but in Israel, and said, here's some living water. What this presents is a choice at a fork in the road that a Samaritan woman had to make. I'm closing you and stand with me. The choice was clear. It's not mixed. It's not confusing. Samaritan woman, in your negated gender and race and immorality, You believe in him, everlasting life. You disbelieve in him, then the wrath of God abide on you. Samaritan woman, it comes down to two choices with one of two results. And just as Joseph's right choice in a moment had generational, listen to me very clearly, I'm closing, I'm sorry. Even as Joseph's right choice in the moment had generational implications, it did for all Israel. Her choice in this moment would have generational implications as well. Because let's not soon forget, a little later in the book of Acts chapter 8, there's a grand revival that breaks forth in a particular city called Samaria. So each of us at some sometime along the way, whether we're moral or immoral, right? Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, whatever. We come to a fork in a road that demands a choice. We either believe the testimony of the Lord and we put our seal to that, adopting it as our own, choosing it as identifying with it as though it belongs to us. Or we reject it, discount it, and throw it over in the pile of refuse and garbage. We are at a choice where there is a fork in the road. If we bow our heads here this evening, Brother Alex, if you could come here tonight. We're at a choice at the fork in the road. It's not just, it's not just that, that, but we got to understand that there can be generational implications to some of our choices, to some of our decisions, to some, for some of our pedigree and our offspring. There is, there is implications. Hallelujah. But our Savior, as then so is he now, he is still on the search and he is still seeking 
a bride. He's seeking a bride of nations, tongues, and races. He's seeking a bride, amen, from the morally good and the immorally, amen, bad. He's just looking for a bride. He must needs come to certain junctures and places in people's lives for the sake of seeing what choice they will make, what decision they will decide. Will they receive him? Will they reject him? Will they buy for everlasting life? Or will they just chalk up a, a mark for everlasting damnation? There is a choice to be made at the fork in the road. Can we raise our hands all across this place right now tonight? Hallelujah, both here within the sanctuary and within the viewing audience of Facebook Live tonight. There may be someone in these walls or even beyond these walls this evening that you have felt like that you have had that moment. You have had that opportunity when God surely visited you. Woo! When God surely visited you, Maybe at your bedside, maybe driving down the car, maybe you were in a church service, but God visited you, and you were, you were presented a choice. Folks, here is the good news for us tonight. Here is the good news for us tonight. The church has not been caught away yet. Here's the good news for us tonight. Christ has not come back and got his church yet. And so if you denied him in your first opportunity, I'm telling you tonight, here's another opportunity that God is trying to visit you and offer you living water, offering you, amen, a born-again experience of being born of the water and of the Spirit. And I'm going to make the choices very plain tonight. It's either you accept him and follow his plan of salvation or you deny it, and that either determines everlasting life for you or you will have the wrath of God abide on you. It's very simple. There's no partial loyalties. There is no half in, half out with this. It is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. The choice is up to you. The choice, huh, the choice is up to you. Will you make the right choice tonight at the fork in the road? Will you make the right choice tonight at the fork in the road? Brother Mason, can you take us to song right now? Will you make the right choice at the fork in the road? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.